Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thus ends the reading from God's holy word. Let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. As you think of The great inventions of humanity. What comes to your mind? Probably the wheel, the printing press, the computer, although I don't know if that's one we always like to include, but it's definitely expanded our capabilities. Probably you don't think of the stirrup as one of man's great inventions, but the stirrup was invented in 1066. And in that year, Edward the Confessor died, leaving no heir to the throne of England. Harold, Earl of Wessex, immediately took the throne for himself and held it for a tumultuous four weeks until William, Duke of Normandy, invaded England to take it from him. The fight that ensued became known as the Battle of Hastings for all you history buffs out there. When the English and Norman armies met at Hastings, their forces were evenly matched. But it was William's invention of the stirrup that turned the tide of battle in his favor. You see, horses had long been a part of military strategy in the Middle Age. But their roles had been limited to that of support and transport. In battle, it was known that a fully clothed knight would just easily be toppled from the horse. There was no way for them to hang on easily. And so without a horse, a knight was harmless and vulnerable. The English therefore prepared to engage the enemy in the traditional style of warfare, hand-to-hand combat. Well, the battle began with an artillery barrage from William's archers and then charged with his infantry. When the English defenses held firm, William unveiled his secret weapon. Mounted knights whose feet were secured to their horses with stirrups. From that secure platform, the knights were able to fight with a force previously unknown in military history. The English army was routed and Harold was killed. And Duke William of Normandy became William I, King of England, better known today as William the Conqueror. It was was this simple invention of the stirrup which allowed his army 
to prevail. England rose to influence and power and gave birth to many of the advances of Western civilization, including the United States of America. Christians are engaged in a battle. It's been said a couple times this morning. Paul described this battle as not being against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this present darkness. Our battle is against the spiritual realm. And we have at our disposal a great power. A power far greater than that of the stirrup. But one that is just as mighty and just as powerful and one that turns the tide in the church's favor. That power is the power of the Holy Spirit. As we've been looking at the power of the church the last couple of weeks, we've taken a look at prayer. We've taken a look at Jesus Christ. Today we will take a look at the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is one that oftentimes is misunderstood. He is the third person of the Trinity, as I've said, and oftentimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is a person. We often refer to the Holy Spirit as it or the (laughs) rather than he. Oftentimes churches divide over issues that are seen to be those regarding the Holy Spirit. And so I think it is beneficial for us today to take a little look at this. In your scripture reading from today, it gets a little confusing at the beginning. Paul is talking about yes and no and yes and no and in Jesus all is yes and we say amen in response to all these things. And what he's doing here is he is addressing a problem that the Corinthians had with him. If you have read 1 Corinthians, you understand, you probably remember that the tone of that book is rather forceful. It's almost parental. His kids are making mistakes. His spiritual kids are messing things up. And so he comes in with some discipline. He tells them that they are doing things incorrectly in some ways and in some ways immorally. And he says that there is discipline needed. I'm sure that that was not well received, that it made some folks mad, hurt some feelings. And at the end of the book, Paul said he was planning on coming to Corinth. He was planning to visit them if the Lord allowed it. Well, history tells us the Lord didn't allow it. Paul didn't show up. And so some of the Corinthians thought, well, Paul's a liar. Paul doesn't do what he says he will do. I'm sure it was probably some of those who had their feathers a little ruffled by some of his stern remarks in the first book. And later in 2 Corinthians, we see that there are some false teachers that have come into the church in Corinth. But these people accuse Paul of being a liar, of saying one thing but not doing it, saying one thing and doing another. And Paul is defending himself. And some have even gone as far as to say that anything Paul says is untrustworthy. That we cannot trust even the gospel itself that Paul has proclaimed. And Paul says this is nonsense. Paul is saying here that all I have told you regarding Jesus Christ, God, Holy Spirit, is true. 
But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. The gospel is true, is what Paul is saying. Now, when we find out the gospel, when we are, when we are introduced to the gospel message that Jesus Christ loves you and he has died on a cross for your sins so that you might be a friend with God, we have an opportunity for response. And this passage says that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. The word amen that we often throw at the end of a prayer, it means let it be true or let it be so. It's kind of like Captain Picard on Star Trek, the new generation, when they decide a course of action and he says, let it be so, make it so. That's what we're affirming and saying at the end of our prayer is, Lord, let this all be true. Let this come to pass. Make this so. And so if you hear the gospel, and you respond with an amen, let it be so, let this be true, you are affirming that I believe the gospel. I believe what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross, and I accept that through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do, if you say amen to the gospel, then there are three things that occur to you that this passage tells us about. There are three things that occur that the Holy Spirit does, that God and the Holy Spirit do for you. The first is this. God anoints each believer with the Holy Spirit. God anoints each believer with the Holy Spirit. It's fun because in the Greek, in this sentence, in verse 20, or excuse me, in verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. In Greek, Christ and anoint are the same word. Anoint and Christ are the same. Chrysos. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, is what his title means. And the Holy Spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, anoints us. We become anointed ones through the work of the Holy Spirit. This happens at the moment of belief. It happens when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are anointed with the Holy Spirit. If you remember your Old Testament stories where David was anointed as king of Israel or Saul before him was anointed as king of Israel. Prophets were anointed. The idea of anointing was they were set apart by God for work. That of kingship or priesthood. Today... Those who believe in Jesus Christ, we all are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are all set apart by God. But what for, for what purpose? Well, that's what we had the purpose of the church series for. If you don't remember, you can get the tapes. Actually, the reason that this passage gives us is so that we may exalt Christ. So that we may glorify Christ. Oral Hersheiser is one of my favorite pitchers. I can never say his last name, so I'll just call him Oral. But baseball season is upon us, and I'm excited. Baseball is my favorite sport. It's not 
that way with many of our young people today. It's not enough action. There's not enough injuries and hurting people and people flying around, But uh, which I enjoy during football season. But during baseball season, I love to watch baseball. Next few weeks, you'll probably see me around town with my Rockies garb on. I, I start wearing my Rockies hat and Rockies shirt, and I get excited. And even though we probably won't do well, I'm still going to be excited about it. But Oral Hershiser was one of my favorite pitchers, and he pitched for the Dodgers. And if you remember, he set a great record. He set the record for the most consecutive innings pitched that he didn't give up an earned run. He pitched 59 innings without surrendering an earned run, a major league record. He pitched 24 innings that same year in the postseason for the Dodgers. Game five of the World Series, he pitched the complete game shutout. He won the Cy Young Award. He won MVP for the series. He won MVP for the National League. It was fun to watch because during the playoffs, the TV cameras would focus on Oral as he was sitting in the dugout between innings. And they would always see him softly singing a song to himself. No one could make out what the song was, but they saw him singing a song softly to himself. It's a lot of S's. <laughs> I was lucky to get through that one. On the Johnny Carson show, a few days after they had won the World Series, Carson played the tape, and he asked Oral what everyone in America was wondering, what song were you softly singing to yourself? Well, the audience roared its approval as Oral decided he would sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That was the song Oral would sing to himself softly between innings. You see, Oral understood that as a Christian, everything we do, everything we do is for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. He understood that even in the midst of winning the Cy Young Award and the two MVP awards and the World Series and having great success and setting records, that it all was for the glory of Jesus Christ. He understood that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That was his purpose. That's why he was here. He just happened to be a great pitcher as well. Sometimes we don't understand that. We get it sideways. Sometimes we even get it backwards. We don't understand that our purpose here is to glorify Jesus Christ, and that's why we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. We think, we think we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit so that we can gain and benefit. Actually, it's for God's benefit. It's for God's glory that we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. But that's the first thing that happens at that moment of belief. When you say amen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit and it is an act of God. 
The second thing that happens to you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is that the Holy Spirit is a seal of ownership upon you. We see this in verse 21 and verse 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. Back then, a seal was created by dripping some candle from or some wax from a candle onto a document and then pressing a signet ring into that can, into that candle wax. And it would create a seal and it would tell you who wrote this document, who created it. It'd also be used to seal up things that shouldn't be read by others. It would tell you this was written by so-and-so and you have no business looking at it. Sometimes it would be placed on goods that were sold to assure that they had not been tampered with during the transport. We have many of the same kinds of seals today on our food things because we're worried that someone might place some kind of devious poison in our foods. We often have those little lids that pop open. It's a seal. It lets you know it hasn't been tampered with. Let you know that you can trust it, that it's protected. Here in the country, we brand cattle. I tried to talk about this knowledgeably in the last service, and I, I, I showed how much of a city guy I am. But someone told me cattle have fur. No, I mean hair. Excuse me, it was me that thought they had fur. They have hair. Cattle have hair, and, and you brand the cow. And you place on the cow a mark that tells you who owns the cow. We went to the museum here in Ray this past week, and we saw on the wall all the brands from people around the Ray community. And if you see that brand on a particular cow, you understand, you know whose it is. Brand inspectors go around and they figure out whose cow it is. Sometimes the hair grows back over it, but there's still that impression on the skin. It's permanent. It stays there. In much the same way, you are branded by God. We are God's cattle. God has placed his brand upon you if you, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And there is nothing that can remove this brand. You are God's. You've been bought at a price. You belong to him. In fact, it tells you that God owns you, that God protects you, that you are a child of God's. Sometimes we take on marks. We take on things that maybe look like a seal. I went to the basketball game last night and I got a mark on my hand. I really tried hard to get this off. Does anyone else have one of these on their hand? Good. It's not just me. I thought I got like weak soap or something, but I could not get this thing off. I'm scrubbing hard and, you know, my hands are all dry and scratchy now, but... The mark's still there. This will fade, hopefully, in time, though. It'll be gone. But it's only a mark. It is not a seal. It doesn't permanently brand me as property of Yuma or Ray or wherever it is that I might go to. Sometimes when we're in the city, we take our kids to Chuck E. Cheese. And now, because they're afraid kids will get abducted, they have you put your hand down and they smack you with a little rubber stamp thing with uh, ink that only shows up under the black light. 
And so when you leave, all your family puts their hand under the black light. And it shows if you're, you know, with the kids that you own or if you're with someone else's kids. So we can't lose our kids at Chuck E. Cheese yet. We haven't figured out a way to beat that system. But but it makes sure that we leave with our kids, the ones we own. And you know, it can only be seen under a black light. Sometimes as a pastor, I wish that there was a black light that could demonstrate who has the brand of the Holy Spirit and who does not. Especially when I was a youth pastor, I really wanted one of those lights. Because sometimes the actions would be so contrary to what a person says they believe, you wanted to get the black light and see, do they really believe this or not? Unfortunately, there are many times that the church divides over these kind of issues where we felt a need to get out a black light, a man-made black light, to figure out who is in the camp and who isn't. I think that's wrong. We need to trust that God knows who's branded, that God knows who his cattle are, and that God will bring them safely home. It's not our job. It's not our job to figure out who's in and who's out and make cattle pens of our own designs. It's God's job. And we must trust him to do that. If you ever see one of my books, I have an embosser that my wife gave me. And it makes an impression on the paper. And it tells you that this book belongs to Steve. If you ever see one, please return it to me. But it makes an impression. It makes a mark. The Holy Spirit does the same to believers in Christ. He seals us. The seal shows who owns us. I believe it is probably this idea that motivated the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 1.1 and Philippians 1.1 where he called himself a slave of Jesus Christ. He understood that he wasn't his own. He was bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross for you and for me. He understood that and he understood that that brought him into slavery. That he was no longer his own person. That he was marked, sealed by God. And that God owned him and possessed him. So what about us? Do we belong to God? Do you belong to God? Have you said yes to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you wear God's brand? Or perhaps do you know some stray cattle that don't wear God's brand and need to know Jesus Christ, who need to be branded by the Holy Spirit and brought into God's corral. Well, the third thing the Holy Spirit does upon our belief in Christ is this. The Holy Spirit confirms that what God has begun, He will complete. We see this in verse 22. And God put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. It is a first installment. It's earnest money. It's a down payment. It's a guarantee. My wife and I, when we sold our house in Denver before coming here, one of the stipulations for accepting a contract was that someone would hand us a check. They'd give us a check of earnest money. 
And that money basically said that what you are writing down on paper, what you are saying you will do, you actually will do. And if you don't do this, we get to keep the check. And you have nothing. So in a way, it solidified. It guaranteed that that person was going to go forth with the purchase of our home. God has earnest money as well. His earnest money, his deposit, is the Holy Spirit. And he has invested that in each and every one of us who accept Jesus Christ. And this investment, this earnest money, this down payment, promises that God will do what this contract, this covenant, this paper says he'll do. It says that there is much more ahead of us. There is much more that he plans to do with you and with me. Someday, each one of us will pass away. Whether, unless Jesus Christ comes back before that day, each one of us will die. And when that occurs, we will see that this was only a shadow of the life to come. We will see that we didn't even experience heaven on earth. That it was far removed from heaven, what we experienced here. And the reason we know that this will happen is because the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. This deposit that God has made in each and every one of us. Some of the things that God promises to do for us. Make us holy. Make us like Jesus Christ. Make us his children. These are all guaranteed in the work of the Spirit. This mark, excuse me, the seal, the anointing, the confirmation, the deposit, none of these can be taken from you. None of them can be earned by you. The only means of of receiving this, the only way to do this, the only thing that causes this to happen is belief in Jesus Christ. And I believe as I've studied scripture and especially this book, There was a lot of carnal folks in Corinth. And they still were marked by the Spirit. They were still sealed by the Holy Spirit. They were branded as gods. And I believe that even we, when we turn our back on God, when we do things that are not right, that are sinful, God still holds us in His hand. That he guarantees that he will complete what he has started. But there is something that we are required to do. And this is where the true power of of the church comes from. And that is being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells each and every believer. And that never changes. But the Bible talks about filling. A filling of the Holy Spirit. In Thessalonians, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. And right before that, he says, do not be given to drunkenness, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's a command to be continually filled with the Spirit. And we do that through obedience to God, to Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit. And we will be filled. And that's where the true power of the church comes from is obedience to God let us pray 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to know Jesus. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity through your grace to call you our Father. Holy Spirit, please fill us. Help us to be more obedient children of our Father. We thank you and we love you in Christ's precious name. Amen.